Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. We're uh, just hanging. Figure we press record and see what happens. Yeah. We are a terracotta army of three. Mm-hmm. Not very imposing. Or terracotta. <laughs> did you go to the High Museum and see this when it was around? No, I didn't. You know, Yumi did, and I wish I would have gone, but I did not. Yeah. But she not. was quite blown away. It was awesome, and I, I didn't even, um, I hadn't heard of it until then. And then when I went and saw it, I was like, this is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. What a great story. And then I uh, wanted to podcast about it and then just sort of forgot. And now here it is a year later, or however long. Yes. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a pretty fascinating story. Yeah, and that exhibit, if you live um, in on planet Earth, uh-huh. go to the website and see where it's going to be, because it travels around. There's, oh, is it like the uh, bodies exhibit? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's this exhibit, and then I think there's permanent um, exhibits elsewhere. There's a permanent exhibit at the site itself. That yeah, and looks I think pretty there amazing. may be one in London. I'm not positive. Well, London has everything. But they, <laughs> they do. They um, really do. No, the only thing they don't have is 12 ounce beers. <laughs> That's, yeah, because they're 16 ounce. That's right. Yeah. You don't need it. When no. I took a trip there, I was like, what's with all these tall boys? And they were like, what's that? <laughs> right. I went, oh, right. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like you, you, when you go to the pub, you don't go in for a, a 12 ounce or you go for a pint. Yeah, and it, it's an imperial pint, right? Is that more than 16 ounces? Is that one po- is that 16.9? Is that one pint nine ounces? I'll bet it is. Jerry, hold up fingers. Jerry said 20 ounces is, is an imperial pint. So I was wrong. 16 is a standard pint. Are you sure it's not 25, Jerry? That's called a double deuce. That's called a Coors double deuce. Double deuce is 22 <laughs> ounces. 24, technically. Why? Well, because a 12 is a single, right? No, but a double deuce. Oh, juice. a deuce deuce? Yeah. I thought double deuce just meant, we're going to put two beers into one can. That's the double double beer. <laughs> what what are we talking about today? I don't know. I'm thirsty all of a sudden, though. You want a beer? It's Friday. I'd love a beer. Oh, let me just reach into my bag here. <laughs> your, uh, vent- your cooler bag? <laughs> <laughs> I carry around like a purse. I wish, man. That'd be fun. Cooler fanny pack. Drinking on the job like it's the 1950s. Yep. All right, let's get serious, buddy. Okay, Chuck. On the morning of March 29, 1974, <laughs> seven farmers set out to dig a well. So begins the article on HowStuffWorks.com. Yes, but it also begins this story. Mm-hmm. A pretty amazing story, actually. Yeah, it's it's awesome. This was in the Chinese village of... Uh, good luck. Uh, Zixiang. Oh, that was pretty good. That's what I'm going to say. Um, and they were digging for water and uh, got down about 13 feet and hit something hard and dug up a terracotta face and head. Yeah. And, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're probably like, whoa. Yeah. Or whatever the Chinese expression for whoa would be. It was kind of universal. Oh, okay. I'm curious. We do have, we found out we're not banned in China, by the way. Yeah. So hello to all of our listeners out there in China. Uh-huh. Um, and will you let us know what woe is in Chinese? Yeah, I think we should do a show sometime on universal uh, sounds. Yeah. Like um, I've heard different, um, or read different things about how people laugh in different countries and <laughs> like, how people <laughs> remark of, of, uh, of affirmation or decline something. Like, I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, they're called idioms, right? 
Uh, is that what it is? I think so. Like here we might go, huh? But somewhere else they might go, whoa. <laughs> what else? I don't know. We got, we have focus here. Terracotta Army. Yes. Um, so they alerted the government like any good, um, citizen should and said, Hey, I think we have something here you should come look at. Yeah. Because th- well, they dug down a little more and they found shards of the same type of pottery in a lot of it in kind of vague human form. Mm-hmm. And that's when they were like, there's something weird going on here. So let's contact the authorities. Yeah. And the authorities said, archaeologists away. <laughs> and sent them out to the site. Because it was 1974, they said, hey, let's contact the Chinese government right away. That's right. I don't know if that would happen today. Uh, the Chinese people? You think? Mm, I don't know. It depends on who they are. I would guess they probably were more likely to in 74 than today. All right. So uh, what they knew, the the government and experts and archaeologists said, well, hold on a minute. You guys are digging near the burial ground of Qin Shi Huangdi. Nice job. And um, he, he was the first emperor of China, and he had a huge mausoleum, and I bet you anything that's what you guys have found. And uh, it turns out they were right. The archaeologists right were the right. So um, the the legend had it that um, Qin Shi Huangdi, China's first emperor, mm-hmm. um, had himself built a pretty awesome mausoleum. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even call it a mausoleum. It was called a funerary complex. It was so massive. Oh, yeah. But as they started to dig and get further and further along in this excavation, which they have still not even any, come close to completing from I what I like understand. one percent or something? Yeah. It's the size of Manhattan. The size of Manhattan. Yeah. The, his, his mausoleum. Yeah. Um, they started to realize, like, it's even bigger than we ever thought. Like, it wasn't lost. They knew that he was buried somewhere around this area. Mm -hmm. It was just, you don't go digging up emperor's tombs. No. But these these farmers had found something pretty interesting, and it was enough to get the archaeologists over that, and they started to dig. And they still have yet to excavate Sheen's tomb, his actual tomb where he's buried. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. But when they started to dig, they started to reveal like more and more of these terracotta figures. Mm-hmm. And they would stumble upon one room. And first they stumbled upon a room and they found Chuck, like 6,000 of these things of infantrymen. Yeah. All standing at the ready, all larger than life. They were about six to six and a half feet tall. Yeah, that's including of, the base. Yeah. All made of terracotta. Yep. Um, Crossbows, finger on the trigger, um, dudes on horses. Well, those are in separate rooms. So first well, yeah, room was sure. like 6,000 infantrymen. Yeah, it was lined up soldiers. like a... In formation. In formation would be lined up. Then there was another room that had like specialists like cavalry, uh, archers with crossbows. Mm-hmm. Blow darters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was a third room that had, I think, 86 like commanders. It was like the command room. Uh-huh. So basically what they revealed was this terracotta army uh, in formation in this guy's grave. Yes, with the idea that um, he wanted protection in the afterlife uh, because he was one of the great jerks of world history. He, he really, yeah. He was terrible. He was a tyrant for sure. He was a, he perhaps was responsible for the deaths of more than one million of his citizens. Okay. He also, though, got things done. Yeah, let's talk about the guy. Okay. So he was the first emperor. Before him, uh, China had seven kingdoms. Yep. And um, in 481, all these kingdoms 
said, you know what, I want to be the main kingdom. So it started what was called the Warring States, yep. an era of battling for land and superiority. And I saw this really neat documentary on uh, Nat Geo, I think, mm-hmm. called uh, China's Ghost Army. I think it's what it's called. I posted a link on our on our podcast page for this episode. Uh-huh. Totally worth watching. It's like an hour. But they say that um, before this, prior to this Warring States yeah. era, when an emperor died in Qin, the Qin um, kingdom, yeah, uh, they would kill the whole court. Hundreds of people wow. would be buried alive with the emperor. Holy cow. And then this warring states, these battles and wars were so significant as far as casualties went. They're like, mm, we, we can't do that anymore. We need them to go fight in the wars. Yeah. So they stopped that tradition. But it was because of this, um, the, the warring states era. Interesting. And that, can you imagine like 200 people just being mass buried alive together? No. Because the emperor died. I can't imagine. So let's get back to this jerk. Sorry. Uh, Cheen. He uh, he overtook and basically was the first emperor, uh, forced um, people to be in the army, mm-hmm. built up a huge army. Um, he relocated in his first year about 120,000 families. And that's like Stalin did that same thing. It's like you can't have ethnic unity and then that kind of collective thought and then potentially an uprising yeah. if you break up that kind of ethnic bonds by basically bussing people in and out of different areas. Yeah, it makes sense. But this guy was doing it like a um, couple, like about 2,000 years before Stalin. Crazy. Uh, he burned all the books. He burned all the writings. Uh, scholars that didn't jibe with his line of thought were uh, buried alive or beheaded. Yeah, he was a piece of garbage, it he sounds like. He was terrible. Um, he assembled a uh, workforce of a million men to build about 5,000 miles of roads. Um, oh, and the Great Wall of China? Yeah, the first Great Wall of China. So while we said he was a jerk, he made a point. He got things done. I mean, he he got a, a monetary system that was uh, uh, unified. Uh, yeah, he also unified weights and measurements. Yeah. Um, he unified China in, from seven kingdoms into one country, and it's still that way today, 2,000 years later. Yeah. And if you've noticed a similarity between Qin and China, that's because the country's named after him. Yeah. So he got things done, vital figure in China's history. But he did but it. A brutal, brutal, controlling, murderous dictator. Right. He wasn't asking. No. And he also had a really conflated view of his the empire that he'd put together. Uh, and you can see this apparently in the money that he minted. Like he, there were uh, different regions that he conquered had different kinds of money. So he did create like a, a single monetary system, I think you said. Yeah. Um, and that, that money was square shaped with a hole in the center. So kind of like a square donut. The Ban Liang coin. And that coin at the time in ancient China, um, the square represented the earth and the circle represented the sky or the heavens. Mm-hmm. And so what he was saying is that this earth, my empire, is even greater than the heavens that surround the earth. Yeah. That's how how good I'm feeling about myself right now. <laughs> yeah, he felt pretty good. Yeah. But he was paranoid. And I think that usually comes when you're on top and you get there by uh, any means necessary. Yeah. You're going to be watching your back your whole life. Um, specifically, he came from the west and conquered eastward. So... When he was buried, he had the Terracotta Army facing east yep. to protect him, 
because of all the badness he had done. And this is after he had killed hundreds of scientists that he commissioned to try and prolong his life. Yeah, so we talked about him actually in the Bizarre Medical Treatments episode, I think, without uh, realizing yeah. it. That um, he, at the back in the day, at, at the time, they believed mercury had some sort of like life-enhancing oh, or yeah. uh, Im- immortality bestowing properties. Uh-huh. And he would take mercury pills. Right, that's right. And they think that that's ironically what killed him. Yeah. Um, but he, he, in addition to mercury, he sent out people to like find fountains of youth or whatever was the Chinese legend version of that. Yeah. Um, he was obsessed with remaining alive and simultaneously, like you said, totally paranoid with dying. Yeah. So he must have been a very tormented person. Yeah. He killed, uh, 480, um, doctors and scientists were killed who could not come up with a way to make him immortal. And again, buried alive or beheaded. Great. Not a good guy. Um, all right, you want to take a break here and uh, talk more about the Terracotta Army? Yes. All right. So, Chuck, um, when we uh, we were talking about this guy, I think you painted a pretty good picture of him. I guess he comes to either he comes to grip with the idea that he's going to die because at the time, like he's trying to chase immortality, mm-hmm. he's concocting uh, um, like a huge burial mausoleum for himself. Uh, I guess hedging his bets in case he does die. Sure, but by this time, like Confucius and other scholars in China have basically like philosophically debunked. The idea of life after death. Yeah. So this man was utterly crazy by his contemporary standards. Yeah. Um, and that kind of shows if you step back and really think about the attitude and the mentality behind what he was doing. But he, at some point, either came to grips with the fact that he was going to die or he was just hedging his bets and thought he was going to remain immortal. But just in case... Let me have this incredible grand funerary complex created, and let's build a terracotta army to protect me in the afterlife. Yeah, it's really neat to look at the terracotta army now as art, but it's 8,000 soldiers. Yeah. Like, this guy was clearly cuckoo. He was off his rocker. Yeah. Yeah. He was a bad man. He was a bad man. All right, so uh, shall we start with the army? Yes, let's, because it's not all that was... That he had commissioned, but the army's a very, it's pretty significant. It is significant. Um, like you said, they are in formation, so the front dudes are, um, they're kneeling down, they're bowmen, and they were famous, the armies they had then, and this is one of the reasons he took over, because mm-hmm. they figured out the crossbow, and they figured out how to shoot while riding a horse, and that was basically all she wrote. Yeah, everybody else is like, your mother. Yeah, like I'm down here with a sword on the ground. Right. And you're shooting at me from 20 feet away with yeah. some weird metallic bolt. No fair. I guess not metallic, but wooden. Yeah. They weren't forging steel back then. I wonder when they did start. I don't know. Sounds like a podcast. It does. How steel works. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I could see that. Um, so you have these bowmen, they have on their armor, um, their fingers on the trigger. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly detailed down to the soles of their feet. Yeah, they have, uh, the shoes they're wearing have like tread marks on the bottom. Yeah. It's all, they took great pride, these artists, clearly, because they probably didn't want to get killed. 
Yeah. Because each of them had to sign in case there was a flaw. It could be traced back to who built this one. Yeah. And so I bet they were killed if they didn't like it. They most decidedly were. There were yeah. 83. They found the stamps, which were ultimately the signatures of 83 different uh, foremen. Okay. And each foreman had a team of apprentices working under him. And the reason that they did assign those stamps was so that he could have them killed if right. he didn't like how slow work was progressing. Sure. If he didn't like what it looked like. Um, and at first, Chuck, they were like, well, this is clearly they just set up an assembly line. Molds were known to the Chinese back uh-huh. then. And um, that's the only way you could possibly create 7,000 figures from a terracotta army. And they found that, yes, actually, the heads were... Um, created through molds. Mm-hmm. I think the, the arms were and stuff like that. But the bulk of them were created by this thing called coiling. Okay. So what is that like 3D printing? It, very much so, actually. Uh-huh. They take clay and hammer it until it's soft and pliable. Yeah. And then you wrap it in like a rope around it, and then you mold it. Yeah. And the thing, the, it, it really took... Uh, these, there's people who are recreating it to try to figure out how they did it. Oh, I love that stuff. And they've examined like broken pieces so they can see the inside and mm-hmm. they can see the coiling evidence very right. clearly. And they're like, ah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you can't quickly make um, all these figures in an efficient way by coiling. Why would they not just use molds? And finally, somebody realized like, this emperor was a bloodthirsty tyrant. He didn't care about efficiency. Yeah. He cared about... Differences, distinctions. Uh-huh. So while so, while the heads, just the actual shape of the heads were made in molds, the bodies were made by hand, each one, Wow! through this coiling method. So where you could make like a, a molded body in maybe a week, it would take a month to do one body by coiling. And that's what they were doing because he wanted them different. That's crazy. Yeah. He just didn't want to carb- carbon copy his soldiers. Exactly. Wow. So each one of these... The body was made by hand through this incredibly intensive coiling method. So they're starting from the ground up, obviously, with the base. Right. And then coiling their way up. Yeah. Uh, the legs then were molded and affixed, uh, as well as the arms and torsos. No, not the torsos. Oh, not the torsos. No, that's not right. Um, okay, gotcha. But then the heads, they said they found eight different head molds. Yes. And that's just the big mold, not the faces. Right. The faces were done by hand individually as well. Right. Each face. Yeah. The, the hair. Different expressions. Yeah. Yeah. And the hair, uh, you know, warriors who had had the most kills had longer hair and a bigger um, up Bun. D- updo. Right. <laughs> bigger beehive. And um, so they would, you know, they took great care into making, you know, the the most revered soldiers have their hair matched as it should. Basically, yeah. as realistic as they could. Yeah. Like All the way around. If you're just an infantryman, you'd be wearing like one of, one of those beanies. A beanie hat, probably. Yeah. Um, with maybe like your bun just kind of sticking up off to the side. Yeah. Underneath. If you're a general, you might be wearing a huge hat with a pheasant feather and a bow tying the whole thing underneath you. Pretty fancy. Yeah, very fancy. Uh, so these things were incredibly detailed. They weren't like a knockoff Star Wars figure <laughs> that you would find in <laughs> Bulgaria China. or something okay. like that, you know? Yeah. Or China, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. That was way more appropriate than Bulgaria. They probably make the real thing too. Um, yeah, these were very detailed. Not, you know, you wouldn't want to say lifelike. They're still artistic. 
slightly, but they were oh, pretty sure. pretty detailed still. Yeah, and they um the ones that you see now when they uh you see them in the museum or you look it up on Google, um they are not colored, but uh, that is because of humidity and time. Yeah. But um originally they fired them in the kiln and they painted and lacquered them as well. That's right. I'd love to see those. Look at watch that National Geographic thing. They've redone one. Oh, really? In the original colors that they think and oh, they're cool. Almost garish. Wow. They're so different, like colorful wise and huh. um, lots of surprising lavenders and blues and purples and things, reds. Yeah, garish. Colors used to be way more garish. Right. Um, but so, okay. They were doing some assembly line stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of the bulk of it, though, was coiled by hand. Yeah. The faces, the hair, all done by hand. And then each one was painted by hand. Yeah. And then given a coat of lacquer. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane that uh, Sky would have had an assembly line of 7,000 of these things built and unpainted. But he didn't. He went even more detailed. And apparently also, I learned from that documentary at the time, lacquer was an extremely expensive um, product. Oh, I'm sure. And he was using it on his terracotta soldiers. It still ain't cheap. Yeah. Uh, and they, there wasn't just the soldiers. There were also, um, some, uh, there was a strong man in another room and some, uh, what do you call them? Not circus performers. Acrobats. But, yeah, acrobats. Yeah. And I looked up the strong man and he was noted for the detail of his biceps. And he had a, a gut. He too. did. He had a gut and some, uh, guns. Yeah. Gut and guns. He's missing his head, <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't see a head. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's got a, he's, he's a big boy. He's like, um, he was built like Andre the Giant. Yeah. Kind of. All right. You want to take another little rest here? We'll take a quick nap. Okay. And then I'll I'll nudge you awake. Okay. Very gently. All right. And then we'll, uh, we'll finish up. Cut, buddy. Huh? Stop. Time to finish the Terracotta Army. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I got like crust in my eyes. Ooh, look at you. Okay, I'm back, Chuck. Okay, so Chin wasn't the only ruler to do this, right? Uh, no, he wasn't. Who else did it? <laughs> well, do you remember in our pyramids episode? Yeah. Although, if it hasn't come out yet, no one will know what I'm talking about, but you will eventually. Uh-huh. Um, we talked about how the the pyramid of khufu was the pin- the pinnacle of pyramid building in dynastic egypt yes and then the pyramids got smaller because the rulers um cred i guess went down as people started to worship the sun instead yeah great point that i'd never considered very similar thing happened in china as people as the well the qin dynasty only lasted for another 4 years after qin shi huangdi um died and then the Han dynasty started. Mm-hmm. And the Hans apparently had a much um, easier hand with their subjects. And so as a result, even though they had terracotta armies buried with them, they were like a third to a sixth of the size of Qin's terracotta army. And they take that as a sign that this um, might and power over people mm-hmm. um, had diminished tremendously. Yeah, that, I think it was symbolic of a kinder um, regime. Right. Um, and one that was not also uh, booby-trapped 
with uh, like very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Apparently, Cheen's tomb or the whole complex was booby trapped with like blow darts and stuff. Crossbows, crossbows, ready to go. Yep. And also, we did, we um one of the reasons why this thing was booby trapped was to prevent looters because. Remember, there's a historian that was that came along not too long after he's a part of the early Han dynasty, from what yeah. I understand. His name is Sima Qian, um, and Sima Qian is the one who first described Qin's mausoleum. And one of the things he described is that um, on the ceiling was a constellation made of pearls and gems. Crazy mountains had been chiseled out of gold. Yeah, and that. Um, that Chin's tomb itself was surrounded by a river of mercury. Because remember, again, yeah, that makes they, sense. they said that it um, it bestowed immortality. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, a lot of what Sima Qian was talking about or writing has been proven correct. Yeah. So, um, And they've also found that in the soil around Qian's tomb, where they think he's buried, there's higher than unusually high mercury levels. Yeah, like super high. Yeah. Yeah. So they think like, yeah, these crazy people buried him around a river of mercury. And who knows if there's a constellation of pearls and gemstones, maybe Sima Kian is right. Yeah. And that also makes it super dangerous to uh, excavate still. Sure. Um, which is one of the reasons why they haven't done more there. Um, there are 600 pits that they have unearthed thus far, which is, like I said, I think only about 1%. And... Um, they're sort of afraid to look elsewhere because of the booby traps and the mercury. I don't blame them. Uh, so a few stats. 36 years to complete this army. Yeah. Or the tomb, I guess. Right. Um, 700,000 laborers, they estimate. Uh, 820,000 square feet. 100 feet deep. With I saw 8,000 warriors. This is seven. I've seen different numbers, too. Let's just say between six and eight. Okay. Um, 40,000 weapons, and apparently these weapons are in really good shape. Well, yeah, I mean, they were like bronze swords and stuff like that. Yeah. They weren't made of, like, um, paper mache. So I guess they did have metal. Yeah, okay. bronze, at least. That answers that. Uh, and each one of these terracotta soldiers weighs about 330 pounds. Yeah. Which is crazy, because they're not even solid. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't be, right? So what is the coil on the inside, and then they smooth out the outside? Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, we did mention that um, Emperor Han Ling Di, who uh, came 53 years after Qin, had his smaller terracotta soldiers. There's also the uh, Wishan site, mm-hmm. um, which they found in 2002. Another terracotta army, but they're all just a foot tall. They're, they they're, might as well not even be there. Symbolic and cute. Yeah. But also symbolic, again, of a kinder... Uh, what was the one quote from... Uh, Do nothing in order to govern. Yeah, not quite the same as Qin. That was Emperor Han Ling Di's quote. He was... Or motto. Qin was a little more, do whatever you need to do to squash uh, any disruption. Well, yeah, and Han Ling Di came along and said, you know what, we're going to not tax you guys that much. And we're going to do away with forced labor. Yeah. So uh, let's party. He was like the Rodney Dangerfield of the Han <laughs> Dynasty. I think he got respect, though. Sure, that's true. So that's he was the Rodney Dangerfield post death, because Rodney has tons of respect. What was Rodney Dangerfield's epitaph? Do you remember? 
It's like one of the best ever. Someone I was uh, on the Mark Maron's uh, interview show, WTF, was interviewed, and they were talking about the old days hanging out with Rodney, and just what a beast that guy was. What do you mean? Just party beast. Oh, yeah. Like legendary. Um, you hang out with Rodney, and you're in for a, a long night. Apparently. I can imagine. Yeah, but a really good guy. Uh, I found it, Chuck. What? His epitaph on Rodney Dangerfield's gravestone. Oh, boy. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> So classic. Yeah. Awesome. You buy a hat like that, you get a free bowl of soup. Oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> Man, you are like the rich little of this podcast. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? Nope. If you want to know more about the Terracotta Army, go see it. And yeah. while you're doing that, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Terracotta is one word, by the way. One word. Mm-hmm. Smithsonian Magazine. Oh, did they goof it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I shamed Smithsonian Magazine, that means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, animal imprint feedback. Uh, hey, guys, I'm currently listening to how animal imprinting works and could not even finish it because I had to write you. My godmothers, Dorsey uh, and Susan, live on, own, and run an urban farm in Austin, Texas on the east side. They have several animals such as chickens, bunnies, geese, miniature donkeys, oh, boy, and ducks. Um, recently, a mother duck had no interest in her babies, uh, and they got adopted by a chicken. That chicken got sick of them, uh, trying to play in all of the rain, and we have, uh, all the rain we've been getting, and left them on their own. A male goose named Gustavo <laughs> took the baby ducks in and treats them as his own. On top of that, the next batch of baby ducks born, he went and took as his own. Oh. Now, Gustavo has about 10 baby ducks that follow him around the nest with him. He has his own private army. That's right. Um, and they're not terracotta. They're made of baby duck feathers. Right. The softest army. Uh, I failed to mention that Gustavo is the face of the farm, uh, greets people, follows around my godmothers, and gives tours to whoever stops by. <laughs> so she says, uh, she finishes with, I started listening to y'all about five months ago and cannot stop. I start many of my sentences now with this podcast I was listening to say many random facts that I learned from you. I also teach high school world history. And on the days I need uh, the students not to talk, um, a.k.a. the days that I don't have a lesson plan. (laughs) That's Chuck's words. Man, this is a giggly email. Uh, I talk to, or I play one of your episodes that applies to what we're learning and uh, have them do book work. I find many of them not working and listening to your show instead. Nice. So uh, that is from Christina Mowdy. And Christina, thank you for your work as a teacher. And hello to all your students. And hello. Hello to your godmothers and Gustavo. Yes. Hello, Ms. Mowdy's class. Thanks for listening. Ms. Mowdy. That's so nice. Yeah. I'm sure that's what they call her. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, they call her Christina. That's way too modern of a school for me. Yeah. And big ups to Gustavo. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I want to take a Gustavo tour someday. Oh, and she sent a picture of Gustavo on the ducks, too. Uh, well, we should post that somewhere. All right. Unless it's copyrighted. Let us know. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 